Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Reader Syndicate 3.0, the next evolution of the look into counterculture that is canon. My name is Matthew, owner of Riot Seeds, and this started as a one-man mission for strain history and breeding science. Over time, it's evolved into something bigger, better, and more of a team effort. We will be joined by members of the Can Illuminati and other friends throughout the seasons to hear their takes on grow techniques, breeding science, strain history, and more. Our mission is to combat the narrative that corporate cannabis and seed posers are obfuscating for their own financial benefit. Welcome to the underground. We are the Syndicate. Welcome to Breeder Syndicate. I'm Matthew, here with our co-host Thousandfold, and today we're going to be talking to Patrick Pico. And uh, he's been a good friend of mine since I think we first met at Emerald Cup 2017 in person. And ever since we've stayed in contact. And uh, yeah, he's got a fascinating tale through the, uh, the seed world and a lot of experience uh, in the seed world, making seeds at scale and more. Uh, Thousand, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I guess first I wanted to ask everyone how their week has been. Fantastic. How's the new year? New year was great. Family man, so super mellow, which I'm grateful for, because otherwise I'd be feeling like shit right now and every day since the first. <laughs> so we um, did absolutely nothing. Yeah, I like the slower pace these days. It's um, it's really gratifying. So it's been a great week. Do they do they celebrate New Year's in Kenya, where you're from, Thousand? <laughs> um, yeah, it's traditional to just like stay up late and watch cartoons and, and watch the balls bed. drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded like chaos like straight up vietnam where i'm at like it, yeah. <laughs> our city is very conservative so th fireworks have always been really big here and like there's never really been any pushback on fireworks despite it being desert and like lots of brush and, <laughs> and things catching on fire every year but yeah it, it was they were they were lighting off boom booms loud i don't even want to say that word boom booms loud enough to uh shake windows like a mile around setting off all the car it was wild so Wow. My big old Anatolian shepherd was on my lap the whole time, but yeah, and it's usually never fun. <laughs> what happens when you get old, I guess. I don't know. We did have a whole bunch of fireworks out here. Um, as they allow those there? They do, yeah. Wow. That does surprise me a little bit. It's a bit of a wetter climate, I guess. It's probably not as risky as it is for you guys, but still, you know. Do they allow like bottle rockets and like firecrackers or is it just like the safe ones it's the safe ones i think relatively yeah yeah it's weird where we're at in california too because like they import like you just go over the border over to nevada and people bring back like m80s and like 
big old monster <laughs> things and like there's no way to really rationalize like that that legality because it especially with online now anybody can get anything anytime anywhere it's, it's really opened up that market you know yeah i mean like you guys were that. talking about earlier before we started recording i, I mostly feel sorry for all the animals you know, <laughs> they have to put up with it or, or even even veterans with ptsd or oh, yeah dude yeah you know that that was something I hadn't really considered until later in life. And it's just like, especially after the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war and the guys come back, like that stuff isn't a joke to some of them it really affects them. So yeah, people need to take more consideration to that. If they really do care about the troops and, and all that. Jazz. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought maybe we could just ask uh, Pico Patrick here a little bit about what he's been doing. Um, obviously that's the whole point of the, the entire conversation but maybe just a little <laughs> brief thing on what he's been up to just recently and maybe touch a little bit on the bank seat hub. Okay. Yeah. So my most recent, um, job is in Arizona. Uh, I left California last year. I got laid off at the end of the season, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. Just prices plummeting. Unfortunately, we had a great year, but it is what it is. Um, and through luckily some good networking, um, I was able to find a job relatively quickly. It was something I had kind of passed on earlier because I, didn't want to give up. I was running an outdoor operation um, and didn't want to kind of give up in the middle of the season and go take a job somewhere. So circled back on that and uh, and currently doing that, which is in Arizona. It's a 100,000 square foot facility. We're doing indoor, which is a back to indoor for me. I hadn't been in that in a couple of years. Um, so it's fun. It's extremely challenging. And like any other aspect of working with the plant, I just learn new things every single day. And that really drives me to just continue on this journey and keep going. So that's been the most recent iteration. Very nice. And yeah, you like you you've told me, and uh, I've read I read your interview in Skunk Mag that you've obviously been working at scale for quite a while, right? So that's going to be quite cool for us to get into later on. Yeah, um, I mean, we can we can talk about the bank if you want to. That was that was yeah. a really cool project. It's a good thing to segue into. So. Um, Initially, when I got the job at the bank, I was kind of doing the same thing. I was out there looking for work. I had gotten a license in Sonoma County, had a fallout with a partner, had to sell out of the building that we owned at the time and the license and uh, made a partnership with an extract company to do that. That partnership just, just fell, fell apart really, really quickly and ended up leaving that position and then was pretty much freelancing for a little while, doing some sales and some other things in, in the industry. Um, and then was looking for work. So an, a, an outfit that I had interviewed with prior um, due to some other some good networking and try to get in with um, as far as just a grower, any job working in their nursery, ended up circling back on me and interviewing me for what they were looking for at the time, which was just someone who could come in, make seeds, grow seeds at scale. They were doing 32 acres the first year I was with them and they wanted to plant all of it from seed. So there was a series of depth crops that were getting planted and there was also a lot of auto flowers. And we're talking like, you know, one farm would have 170,000 seeds twice a year. So massive, massive amounts. So the, the first part of the job was making all the seed, um, which I was tasked with. And in the interview, I, I told them, you know, I haven't done this at scale. I had only done one reversal prior and they wanted all femme. Um, and so it was like, I, I was very honest with them and telling them like, I'm, I know how to do this, but I've never done it at scale. And I was lacking a lot of confidence to say the least. Um, but they basically were very supportive and told me, look, if you will come in and take this job and try it, we'll learn together. 
you know, and fair enough. Luckily, um, it all worked out really well. The reversals were extremely successful and we made 3 million seeds in the first year. So at the rate, <laughs> at the rate of, you know, growing a couple hundred thousand a year and making millions in the first year, I had essentially somewhat worked myself out of that job because we made so many seeds. Can so, I ask you, um, just can I just interrupt you and ask, yeah, what did you, what do you feel like you learned from this one? Oh my God. From that job? Yeah. I mean, the entire reversal process, I'm very analytical. I keep a lot of notes. I, I use a lot of data. So, you know, for what we were doing with STS reversals, just the proper amount, tracking it per strain, tracking it per specific varieties and looking at lineages to see if there were going to be correlations with other strains I wanted to reverse and how successful or non-successful they would be, how many plants per seed you're going to get per square foot, you know, how big the receiver should be, those timelines of staggering the donors and the receivers, what the ideal timeline is depending on those genetics and their finishing times. And, um, you know, there's also a, there's a graph as far as for seed maturation, how long you want the seed to actually continue to mature. And there's four, I believe there's four carrot, like four um, data sets that they're looking for that all hit their peak at a different time. It's like the germination rate, um, the storage rate, and there's two others. One's vigor and one's one, another one. So ideal timelines to where you hit all of those at their peak before you start to basically get diminishing returns. Or if you overdo the seeds, they'll have the cracked shells, um, which obviously um, nobody wants to buy. You can still grow them. They germinate just fine, but nobody wants to buy those. So Isn't that wild? Like that they still grow. I, like I remember um, what line was the first time I saw that Bodhi did it with, uh, it was one of the G13 hash plant lines. Uh, Chem 91 G13 hash plant was the first time I saw it. And like, he sent me a bunch and they were kind of cracked. It's like, I think they still grow. And they, they did, which blew my mind, you know, considering I thought air was getting in, going to dry it out, but it, they did, uh, crack pretty well, but nobody wants to buy them. Yeah. Nobody wants to buy them. I mean, honestly, they, they, they crack a little bit easier because you, there's yeah. the water will penetrate, you know, into the, Instantly, yeah. the embryo right away. Right. And then they don't have to actually break through the shell to get up above the surface depending upon what substrate you're using. If you're using like, you know, little Excel plugs or something um, or yeah. rock, well, those things can be challenging. So it, it can make it easier, but yeah, nobody wants to buy those and they look like shit. So there's yeah. certain strains that just that happens. And even when you take Literally. it to the number of days that you would want to go to for all of the other things that you're looking for in a great seed, um, you know, some strains just got to take them a, a week earlier, two weeks earlier. So that crack doesn't actually happen. It doesn't open. So learning things like that, um, I was doing crop registration on all this acreage. So with that came a lot of other plant diagnosis that was happening. First time I saw beet curly top virus and oh, wow. last time, thank God, uh, yeah. that was a tough one. You know, um, creating to be able to identify that in cannabis. I've never seen that before. It was, it's very wild. It, luckily it runs its course fair, fairly quickly, like 30, 35 days and it's out of the plant. Oh, and nice. it goes from wherever the bite site is up the plant is affected. Everything below and on any other branch is good. It doesn't affect it. So how many times it got bit by the leafhoppers that carry it will affect how terrible the plant is in yield and everything else. But I mean, it'll take a plant that's about to be 10 feet tall and, you know, f seven feet around and turn it into a tiny little squat bush that is like two feet by two feet. Oh, no. So, Yield impacts are tremendous. And once you have it, you have it. You can't, there's, you know what I mean? It's going to run its course, but you're not going to get good viable bud off those branches. And 
it hurt. That one hurt. So that was a great learning experience. Um, just everything at scale. I, I ended up running the farm ops on that, you know, with that outfit the, the prior year or the next year rather, because I had made all the seed and we didn't really need that as much anymore. So now it was just about growing the seed and um, running the farm ops. They liked what I did from a plant diagnosis standpoint. I took a lot of videos, again, shared a lot of information, would give reports back on all the crops and where we were at with the acreage and then would try to map out the harvest plan, which was insane because you know, if you're running that many acres, it's all yeah. ready at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And the you need, small, so, and you need a place big enough to dry it all. Like, exactly. like you're talking about another episode that people really don't take that into consideration, especially when they're new. And like, that is a major, major consideration. Where do you dry it all? And if you're making seeds, how do you store it, dry it? And when the seeds start falling out bit by bit, like, how do you catch them? Identify with what plant? Yeah. There's so much that goes into that. Well, the seeds were made and kept in a totally different area. Mm -hmm. Like all I had a, I had a 10 acre nursery that would be all seed production, nursery operations, cloning, seed making, everything was just in that, in that nursery. So that was like independent. And then all of the growing acreage was elsewhere. And it oh, was, wow. across, it was across multiple counties. So it was like, <laughs> I was putting a lot of miles on the car and doing a lot of driving, which was also awesome. I mean, it was, it was like the ideal job. The fact that I had a job just to make seed was yeah, the coolest dude. thing in the world to me. And it was like, I'll do whatever it takes to keep this job. You know That's I mean? a seed maker's dream to be able to grow at scale, pop a bunch of stuff that you want to see and get paid to do it. Like I've never found that, you know, and I've been right. doing this a long time. And that, that, that is something special. It's not something for those listening that aren't really that keen on what goes on in the seed business. It's not a common thing to be offered that kind of job. So it is special. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know anyone yeah. else had it before or since. No, Nope. So I was That's super amazing. lucky. Um, super lucky to be in that position and right place, right time. Networking has been so important in everything that I've been able to do. I mean, just with you, you know, like even being in this chat right now is because of good networking and keeping oh, yeah. relationships. Um, so with, so with that, with that job, with its unique challenges and with what we basically want, I had to put any of my ego and any of my prior work kind of to the side, you know, I was working yeah. for someone else. I had to fulfill what they wanted um, what would sell for them wasn't necessarily the stuff that I was making. And so for those years that I was with them, I was really doing a lot of OPW, which is other people's work, yeah. you know, which I was fine with. Cause again, I had the, my dream job. So who cares? I'll, I'll, make yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I'll go do crop reg and I'm still doing the work. So it was all good from my perspective. So with that, the challenge that we had, um, was genetics, sourcing genetics, always having good genetics and always having the next thing the way I was doing it, the way I was being asked to do it was using other people's work from the previous season or the previous cuts that had come in and mixing and matching and doing all that kind of shit. And it was always catering to a very fickle market that wants something new all the time. Yep. So with that, there's no like actual line breeding or learning. You're not really getting heritability of traits and the things that are really interesting, except for the autoflower work, which was probably one of the greatest learning experiences because oh, of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with that, I started the bank seed hub with the partner who was the owner of the company, um, which the idea of that was so many great breeders who had amazing brands already had been left out of legalization for one reason or another. Um, you know, whether it was, they were in a garage and they were never going to get the zoning correct to be able to have their seeds enter the market. Uh, yep. This is before the 2018 farm bill. So there was still a lot of like very, very gray area as far as how, 
anybody would get seeds anywhere on this scale and to facilities that were being opened up across the country that were totally legal and, you know, um, compliant, so to speak. So um, with that, I started the Bank Seed Hub and the idea of that was to basically be a conduit or a bridge to all these other amazing breeders who are out there to come to this 10 acre facility make your seeds here or give us the plants. Tell us what you want us to do. I'll make the seeds for you. We will sell them back to you at a certain price. If you like, if you want to go hit the market with them, we'll grow out a shitload of them as many as you possibly want us to grow out so that we can do the crop registration, pheno hunts and keep building for the next season. And um, basically just offer the resources that we had to all the amazing breeders who are already out there. So that was the whole idea with the bank seed hub. Um, it worked for what it was designed for, but as you guys know, many of these breeders are very hard to kind of get in with. Um, mm. They're very guarded. If I come with an opportunity like that from someone that they don't know and haven't done business with before, it's mm. going to be very skeptically, which it was. Yeah. And sure. had to develop relationships first with the people that I knew and had relationships with that I thought would be a good you know, jumping off point. And from that, I knew that in the short term, it would quickly kind of start to snowball and grow. And I think if we had another year or two, we would have seen that really start oh, yeah. to become a round table kind of coalition of breeders. Um, what I what I envisioned and I called it was the Sunday Mass, which was the Mutual Admiration Society of Seed Makers. And we would all there <laughs> someday we would come together. And we would be able to form this group where everybody is gaining in the same amount. You know, we take away the competitive element a little bit, even the playing field. And then we could have a very real brick and mortar or some type of actual bank where all the brands are represented, all the breeders are there. It's all 100% legal and compliant. We can do business with anyone we want to do business with. And, you know, that, that was the whole idea. Yeah. I just wanted to say that uh, we've heard different... Uh, heard of different people's attempts or initiatives to collectivize in different ways like so we've heard from little hill um matt obviously with the breeder syndicate and now you with this and it's interesting like each of you has a slightly different <coughs> take on collectivization but it's super cool to see and hear about so yeah. it's not common again it's not common for um breeders to even get along to accomplish a goal like that so it is something that takes years and years and years to build with with yeah. trust and, and yeah you're well on your way everybody's got a little like bone to pick with everybody else it seems so yeah and that's and myself included <laughs> yeah right i mean and, and much so. some, some others with you as well and and back yeah and, forth and you know it, it is what it is but things change quite a bit when you all are in the same room together Sure. When you're all physically talking and have the same Absolutely. goal in mind or the same thing to gain, um, a lot of that ego gets stripped away and things become what they should be about, which was about the plant, about sharing, about the community, you know, and just about weed. That's that's what it should be about. So the last the last thing that we did with the Bank Seed Hub um, in the last year, things were pulled back quite a bit. We did a lot more from Cologne and we're running less and less of the seed. And so I did an acre hunt and I got like five or six friends that all had fen seeds to throw in with me. And we did an acre that was just going to be all of us together. It didn't really work out the way I wanted with being able to produce some content, get everybody on site. Everybody has different schedules. People had moved. It was harder for them to get back to California to, to kind of see the work. Um, so I was documenting it all and trying to share it as much as possible. But that was like the beginning of the fruition of all the goals to have even half a dozen breeders that would throw their work in together and then if I could have gotten them all together to that site, you know, then we're viewing each other's work and like 
making selections together and and picking out the little nuances of what we liked about this cross or that cross or you know whatever that was that was really what i envisioned and we we almost got there at the end um but like i said california ended up you know prices of outdoor went down to like sub 500 and it was a total shit show and when you got to pay excise tax and you got to pay all these other insane bills i mean the county of sonoma was like just trying to really bend us over and just to hit us for these ridiculous fines all the time and just crazy shit, constantly crazy yeah. shit from them. So um, I unfortunately was let go from that position and had to, you know, do the new thing. So it was great while it lasted in the idea is still there. The dream is still there. I hope that I can continue to kind of see that mission through and um, exciting that where I'm at in Arizona, they're giving me pretty much carte blanche to do any genetics I want. Um, we're doing massive seed hunts there. So I just filled a room with 2,500 um, plants all from seed. There's six different varieties. So we got a couple hundred of each one going. Um, that's going to be the first like big pheno hunt project on that site. And then I am doing a reversal in the greenhouse right now, which should net quite a few seeds. So really exciting projects. And then I hope to kind of be able to bring other folks back into that fold and continue the same idea and offer that space. Like now I have indoor space, which is one of the biggest complaints about the bank seed hub was we were doing all outdoor. Nobody wanted yeah. to take pictures and content of their outdoor flower. Cause for whatever reason they think it's bad or they can't sell seeds with it. But um, now I have the, basically the same idea that I think I can replicate, bring it inside and hopefully make a, you know, a mutual admiration and a mutually beneficial group of people that would want to take play and take part in that. And for the company I'm working for, it's all good for them too, because they're getting access to all these genetics and all these different things for their sales that, you know, they wouldn't otherwise have, or they'd have to pay for or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. You let us know if we can help in any way, you know, obviously we have a platform of sorts and have a certain kind of reach. So you, you should just hit us up if you can think of anything that we can help with. Yeah. I definitely like to deliver completed ideas. So, um, it's it's in the works. Let me continue to work on the mission right now and make sure that we I want can, it now, bro. Yeah, yeah. I have to make sure that I can execute and be successful um, for everyone yeah. else, you know, before I can before I can for really sure. just open up the floodgates. But that is the long term goal. So, you know, if anybody's interested in having those conversations, I certainly am. Very nice. I'm sure you're working. You know, your previous uh, gig uh, working on that scale probably forced you to systematize a lot, right? Oh yeah. I, I always have though. I, I'm operations are a big, um, just part of my flow with anything with the plant. So I very, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought we could kind of go backwards in time a bit and maybe you could talk to us about what the early period for you was like, uh, making season growing. Um, you know, what drew you to those things? How did you get into it to begin with? And how did you learn about those things? Well, so I'm from Ohio originally. And in Ohio, the first grow kind of group that I was a part of, um, they were growing all from seed. So there was no clones. None of that was even happening. And it was all um, DJ Short, Sensi, uh, just a bunch of old school stuff. White Widow, Blueberry, Super Silver Haze. Um and, and with that, with that early sort of introduction, like seeds were, were the first thing for me, you know? So when I ended up returning back to them around like 2010 or so, it was like a 
it was like a homecoming. It was like, oh, this is the way we were always supposed to do it. You know, we like kind of lost sight for a while. So those early days back in Ohio, all from seed, everything was selected in-house. And it was just because it was a very closed group and didn't want anybody to know what the hell we were doing. Didn't have friends that had clones and probably wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like was parked the car like two miles away and carrying grow equipment down the street. Yeah. Seemed like a better idea than parking your car after Green Merchant, right? So it's like, I'll carry this fucking light and these ballasts and everything else and try to make it in one trip, which was ridiculous, um, just to not have my license plate in front of that store. So that was kind of Absolutely. the, you know, that was kind of the viewpoint. And um, it was very, it was very stigmatized in Ohio in my area, even from my close friends who now are totally cool that it was, it was still like I was kind of off to the side and on my own a little bit. Um, so anyways, from there, um, I ended up one of the guys who was part of that group, who was really just more of a, he was more of a scammer kind of, he was more like just in it for the money part. He didn't even slur kind of guy. Yeah. He didn't even really smoke weed. I mean, he, you know, he did eventually, but he's, he's like the reason that people shouldn't smoke weed. In my opinion, he just got too like out of pocket and was doing stupid shit and acting a yep. fool and you couldn't have him around anybody. So, but, but that was his whole thing was just sort of like, I'm just trying to make money, you know, which was fine too. Cause it gave me a job. So um, I ended up moving out to the Bay area to do some trim work for him and just help out because it was exploding. And at the time the, the OG pounds were 58, 57 down in LA. So it was yeah. like, fuck yeah, I was getting paid a shitload just to come and trim just because he didn't want to have to hire some randos to come trim and needed reliable people. So relocated from Ohio out to California to do that. And everything was from clone. So from there, it's we're growing OG, Snowcap, Blue Dream, Blackberry Kush, um, Nightshade, you know, some other random stuff. And eventually that whittled down to like, you know, maybe 10% anything but OG, you know, and everything was OG, all from clone. And that was <laughs> a flow for a long time, you know, and everything was going to LA. And what year was this? Or this roughly? was... Um, I moved out to California in 2007, so right around there, 2007 through 2012 or so. We were, that's pretty much what we were doing. And then what became pretty apparent, like, you know, right away was if we, it was always like, oh, we need the next OG cut, you know, now we need Skywalker, now we need King Louie, now we need this, now we need that. And it was like, well, we can just get this from, like, we can just go backwards buy the seed, make selections and have something totally unique that nobody else has. Yep. And that's, and that's where I was starting to look in other lines. Cause OG was really boring at that point because it was like, that's all we fucking grew. That's it was all splitting hairs between the cuts. And a lot of people don't realize like some of them, they could be the same cut, with just two different names. So oh, it get real boring. 90%, 90% of them were the same cuts. And it was just little conditional differences from environment that would really change, you know, the appearance or, Yep. what was expressing in the plant was more so based on the environmental changes based on these people's grow rooms and how they built them. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing. Like your signature is kind of in your grow room. It's kind of an interesting concept, yeah. but, but yeah, it was, it was just really boring. So I was like, fuck, I need these flavors. Like I was in love with the banana flavor. I had banana OG. I wanted to find that in a seed form. I want I couldn't get a cut anywhere. So I went to seeds and I think some of the first seeds that I bought when I was in California were off of seed Bay um you know started with some of that dutch growing stuff like the ocean 99 that we talk about and that's yeah. the that's the pre-roll that i gave you that was that super remember, yeah product. um so i still talk about that i yeah. still talk about it when people ask about banana stuff like and i did a lot of banana work myself so i, I i've got a pretty good working knowledge of that line and how it breeds 
but that was exceptional. And like, yeah, when people ask me about banana flavors, I'm like, well, there was one very specific one that was the most extreme banana bread terps that it was just unmistakable. Like yeah. anybody who smelled that would smell that. And that was like a seven weeker. It was like, it's so, wild. and the, and the OJ 99 was made probably years prior and probably not kept in great condition. So yeah. by the time I even got those seeds, it was like, they were probably, I don't know, five years old, six years old. Mm-hmm. I don't know when she made them, but they were old and two, only two germinated. So the one was a female, one was a male. 2011. That one female was what I called the banana 99 cut. That was just the most phenomenal banana. Seven weaker, yielded, the fucking beautiful plant. Perfect. Doesn't have to love the odds on that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Not only that, but then I used the male because I'm like, well, shit, there might be some banana in this guy, too. So I used the male in my earliest breeding work just to try to continue that. And um, and he put out amazing work. I mean, that's still the backbone of what I grow today and what I breed today. And those lines is still rooted in that OG 99 cut and the male from that pack. Those are still like the basises. And then I had some, uh, what was the other one? Um, Sweet Tooth number three from, I think, Deluxe had done a remake or something. I got that because I was just fucking head over heels for the tangerine haze that came from the Devil's Harvest crew. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, oh, my God. That plant was so amazing. It was like no, nobody. The flavor was just unbelievable with the tangerine. NYCDG13 haze? Yep, exactly. Yep. And it was like the flavor was so fucking good. And the high was extremely up, extremely zippy and up. And everybody who smoked it who was looking for like a downer couch locky weed hated it because it didn't do that. But I had a very specific experience where I was down in LA vending. I'd always go to Malibu to first point to go surfing. I had smoked some OG with my buddy. He had come down there with me and we were just like fucking floored, you know, after a day of surfing in the ocean, he was like already kind of drained. And then we smoked this OG and it was like, I was like, Oh my God, I'm so fucking lethargic. And then I remember smoking the tangerine haze after that and being like, whoop, right back to like, just, you know, cognitive, lucid, everything was fucking good again. And I was like, this is the fucking, like, this is more powerful than that OG. It's just a completely different effect that you're not feeling from like a sober to high state. But it's like, if I was already high and too low, man, that thing brought me right back. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. So that was, that was a magical one. But I used the sweet tooth to try to like preserve that flavor as much as possible. So those were the two earliest breeding projects I did really was using the banana OJ99 male and I made F2s, but I did all sorts of other work with him and then trying to preserve the tangerine haze as much as possible by using the sweet tooth F2, the sweet tooth number three F2, which I don't know how many times that's in crossed, but um, that was pretty much the earliest stuff and the results were fantastic. So be it, be it luck, be it whatever, like we got fucking great plants from every single thing that got touched by the pollen and nobody was really complaining at that time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. 
plus. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Until I accidentally seated an entire room and then, and then, I, <laughs> then I got a little pushback on them. That's when they stop liking seeds as much as when you see the entire room. <laughs> That's exactly when they stop liking seeds so much. At that point, they got referred to as art projects and I was no longer. <laughs> which is honestly what ended up being the impetus for me leaving that outfit and starting my own thing was based 100 on that i was like well this is the ticket like we got to keep doing this and they're like no we got to do none of that and just go back to growing blue dream and i was like all right this i have a different vision i have a different vision than what (laughs) i do so um that's when i kind of broke off on my own and left you know, the safe haven of a very tight knit friends group that I had and had moved across the country for. And everybody that was working with us at the time was from Ohio for the most part. Um, So that was sort of the impetus for leaving that group was the souring of popping seeds um, for them, you know, not for me. Collateral damage, man. We just ended up with more seeds. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) shouldn't even complain. That's a, that's a plus. Right. Right. Um, I wanted to take a little tangent here uh, and want to throw this bone to Matt as well, which is the forums. You mentioned, I think, in one of in, in that interview in Skunk Mag, um, that the forums play quite a big part in your early stages. Definitely. And and a great, great point to, to mention or a great place to mention that. So that was really I was on IC Mag. Um, the guy that I had initially learned from, whose nickname is Cool White, by the way, which I fucking love because he he burned down a house by not uh, putting an anchor in, in a light and putting it up in drywall and burned oh his house. Oh my god! Down. So when he went to jail, all the all the guys in jail called him Cool White because of the lights. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So anyway, he'll probably love that. Shout out Cool White, <laughs> super egomaniacal guy. So he'll definitely enjoy that. But, oh yeah, um, here's his name for sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, so he was on Overgrow. He was big on Overgrow. I'm sure he was an asshole because he was an asshole in real life. So I can only imagine how bad he was on Overgrow. But, <laughs> but I was on IC Mag mostly because of the Seed Bay linkage. And that's just yeah. where I was buying seeds. So I was super paranoid still. You know, the same mentality had followed me through and was a lurker. I would like put my fucking laptop on private mode and maybe go somewhere else that wasn't my regular IP address to so go even surf it and look around oh, on yeah. IC Mag. But but yeah, watching um, some of the threads on ICMeg, especially the Jack Mayhoffer stuff, um, which which is I think is Ivan, right? Yes. And and it was like the early cocoa beds that they were doing. I just and you're, real quick, you're referring to Jungle Boys, Ivan, for the people who don't know. Right. Yeah. Jack I'm, Mayhoffer. So, Jack Mayhoffer. So Jack Mayhoffer's threads were epic as yeah. far as just like scale growing and. And what they were doing now, I'm sure, or what they were doing then, they don't do it all now. But my my idea and sort of uh, what I was following was fully soil, organic growing, living soil. And so his idea of these giant beds um, in your room was just like right in tune with what I was trying to do. So I yeah. used the tech that he was kind of providing on ICMAG and all the other information about nutrition and living soil and all the other stuff that was available on there and really just just ran with it. But it gave me a lot of confidence to kind of know what to try and learn from other people's failures, especially 
Um, and, uh, and that was, that was quintessential. And then so much strain knowledge. And, and now I, I really, I haven't gone on there in so long, but, um, just so much information. And the thing was that all the bullshitters got called out. That was the great thing. We don't have that anymore. Like it, Instagram is such a step backwards from the, the sharing of information because agreed. And I don't think Twitter does it either. I'm not on Twitter, but I would imagine that doesn't do it either. But the power is in the words. The words are the knowledge. The pictures support the words, but the words are where it's at. On Instagram, it's totally different. It's just the facade. Here's what it looks like. The words are almost meaningless. You throw a couple emojis up there and then, you know, cute conversations that are also meaningless, which is usually just a circle jerk. Yeah. So Instagram for me is kind of just such a huge step back. It's a necessary platform, I think, because it's the only one that we really have. But sure it's just such a step backwards as far as like sharing information and sharing reality because none of it is steeped in reality whatsoever. So. I think, I think that's a common sentiment too, among people who've been around and made it through the forum era and stuff, being able to have that and that kind of community and then going to Instagram, it, it's just totally, it's a night and day difference and it's actually pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I, I just appreciate it. It was policed a lot better, Yeah, you know? And, um, I don't know. It was just, it was just, it was generally really solid information. You can kind of tell what wasn't and what was, but sure. generally really solid. And if you needed verification yeah. of a cut or something, you could get it pretty easily. And, or people will just call you out and tell you how fake your shit is, which also can be valuable just to know. Yeah. Right. So there yeah, was, I see mag was really, really awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. And the first kind of the first few people that I met up with and um, you know, became like in, in real life friends with were from IC mag too. Um, and that was cool because that sort of opened up more of the networking gateway to like sharing information, getting stuff, you know, sharing weed, sharing concentrate, sharing tech, um, sharing opportunities, you know, that all of those things really came along with ICMAG. So I'm super grateful for that forum and, and all the forums that preceded it as well. Yeah. Are you going to jump gonna... on the can of cabana now that it's all opened question. up? I will. Yes. Unfortunately, time is so restrictive for me right now between the job and the kids that it's just, I just Daddy. don't have the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the time to do it. I don't even have time to smoke as much as I'd like, honestly, or a place yeah. to do it. Um, I'm in my kid's room right now. I was telling Thousandfold before. It's like the only place I can get away that's like <laughs> quiet and not in the garage looking depressing. Yeah. Um, so I just don't have the time for it right now. I wish I did, but I'm so... Yeah. I mean, I'm in my own forum world, so to speak, in the in what we're doing because the hundred thousand square foot is perpetual. I've got nine different grow rooms that are all going at the same time, um, and all a week apart. So I can see very much the entire like week one through nine of what's happening in a room at all times, which is really cool to just track yeah. progress and and kind of make minute changes and, and see the results of those types of things. Um, so. I just get so much value out of that that I don't really go to the forums quite as much anymore. It was really a little bit of a crutch, a lot of information. And, and now it's because it's, there's so little activity there. Um, it just wouldn't be as valuable for the things I would probably use it for today, which would be more like verification of cuts and, you know, provenance and things like that. And we have our discord too, where we can all jam on that, which is really nice. I mean, that's been, that's been a great thing. Honestly, the discord has been awesome. And I've, and that's been the main type of forum thing that I've interacted with in the last six years. I think I've been on that thing now with. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time, bro. It's been a I long first, ride. Dude. Yeah. I remember messaging, <laughs> messaging Denali the night I was in the hospital <laughs> first kid and he just turned five. So that's wild. Wow. That's yeah. Wild. 
Wait, so did you two cross over on the forums or no? No, we met no. at uh, Emerald Cup in 2017. Gotcha. Yeah. So I remember exactly how we started talking. You had said something on a post. I posted something at the time I had my company was called Vamoody and I was running that Instagram and um, your bio had a Stone Roses um, lot. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. love the Stone Roses. And so few people know about the Stone Roses that I was like. He's already in me. I fucking love that, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. The first time I sent you something, I sent it to Cinnamon Girl. Oh, that's right. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, so nobody, store, so, nobody even listens to them anymore. Yeah, they're the best, man. Music yeah. and weed. Those are the unifiers. Those are the things for me that have always like brought people and made friends has been like, if there's two icebreakers for me, it's music and weed. And those have always been true, even to this day. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. I still use that quote. I think it's in my profile still to this day. I figured just, you were cool when I saw that. Man, I was It wrong. creeps people out, though, because like, they don't get that it's a quote from Stone Rose's song. It just sounds like I'm an evil Satanist. Even though? <laughs> hey, I can, I can hang with it. <laughs> Anything else on the forums? Uh, no. I, enjoy, I wish I would have done more, honestly. I was more of a lurker. I wish I would have interacted more with people and... Um, I wish they were still as used as they are today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you guys are talking about between say the forums and Instagram or Twitter, the architecture, you know, obviously lends itself to different things. So on Instagram and Twitter, it's very hard to sustain a conversation for more than a few days, right? Because it just disappears into the timeline, the abyss of noise and you're so limited yeah. on what you can say it's not like you can really express yourself very well kind of like twitter you know you're, you're limited yeah. to a certain amount of character sets and people don't want to read long sentences so you'll find that most people just respond to the first few things you say or the image and not read what you wrote so there's yeah, a lot of miscommunication yeah. that goes on it's yeah not and it feels like also people are encouraged to like spit out zingers like you know witty one-liners and stuff rather than actually a thoughtful you know, articulation of anything. Yeah. Um, it's just about like your reflexive knee-jerk reactions. Yeah. A lot of the time. I definitely, I agree with you. I definitely enjoyed the linear nature of the forums because I would wake up in the morning, go back to wherever I left off, catch up on all the, you know, the chit chat, whatever was going on and um, just follow along with the conversations. So I, I enjoyed yeah. the nature. Once it got, it got ridiculous to a point. I remember, the slow nickel lounge had like 800 pages or something. And yeah. it was like, holy shit. I went to bed and then we were at like 528. I wake up, we're at like 600 and something. I'm like, holy shit. I can't even catch up. So I guess yeah. there's a downside to it too, when it gets True. that much use. Yep. But yeah, I miss the forums, man. I really like that. That was a good, that was a good time. San Diego's finest got so big. They had to blow it up into like a second and third, I think now it might just still be on second, but yeah, that was one of my favorites. Yeah, when threads become their own forums. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. And they lock it at a point. Yep. Well, I thought we could kind of segue to Pico's. I mean, obviously, Pico, you've talked about some of the work that you have done yourself. Uh, you talked about the banana stuff. Um, can you tell us a bit more about some of your own recent work? Uh, you know, Nightcap, um, Hazes. Yeah, so um, so from that initial project with the OJ99, I crossed out to Blackberry Kush, which was a staple for us at the time. And um, from those, found some really cool plants. I called it Gargamel. 
Um, it was an interesting plant, nothing like too crazy, but it had a very, very good look, got great color, had good flavor. It was kind of like pretzel dough with like a hint of licorice on the back end, which I really, really liked. And then um, I ended up getting a cut from a buddy that was supposed to be Gorilla Glue 4. I checked it on the forums. You know, I hit up uh, the, that that group and I think Marlo was the dude's name who called me out and told me that's bullshit. That's not Gorilla Glue 4. And I was like, well, whatever it is, it's fucking awesome. And it might be better than Gorilla Glue 4 because like I never even experienced anything like this. That one, we ended up taking it to market before I knew it was not Gorilla Glue 4. We took it to market and, you know, taking it to like Oakland. And they were like, nah, this, this ain't it. And and their best guess at what it was, was um, Grease Monkey, which was Gorilla Glue 4 and yeah. something else. I forget what the cross was on it. Yeah, I think but it was uh, Exotic Dyke. Yeah, that, that one. I remember that one. It was Exotic. Yeah, yeah. It was Exotic Genetics. And and regrettably, we ended up taking that name and calling it Grease Monkey 2.0. We didn't, we couldn't confirm it was or wasn't. Sure. The guy who, uh, but if, but if that was what they wanted to call it, and that was what it was, you know, we could sell it to the club because it was super dank, then I was fine with it, you know. So we ended up calling that Grease Monkey 2.0 for a minute. Um, I ended up making some S1s of that, which may have been an S1 already because it was the fake Gorilla Glue. So I don't know what the hell it was. Um, but the S1 of that that I popped, I popped one seed. Every time I'd make something, I'd just throw one or two, you know, in, in just to kind of see and get a look under the hood. And this plant popped and it was like the, the first set of true leaves after cotyledon was like covered in trichomes, like covered in the, the sessile type, you know, the type without the yeah. glandular stalk. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was glistening and it was like amazing. And I could smell it right out of there. It was like fresh pine and coriander. It was unbelievable. The plant continued to grow up and veg and it just kept having these trichomes on every single leaf. Like the fan leaf is covered in trikes. I'd never seen that before. It was so fragrant. I knew it was going to be like fucking amazing. It was just meant to be. Um, so that's what ended up becoming boss frost for us. Boss frost. Too. Boss Frost like ruled the day for us for a minute. We went to the 2016 High Times Cup, and that was the only thing I've ever entered into a cup. It hit 6.6 on the Terps and 33 on the total can. It blew everything else out of the water. The the NorCal Cup was um, the lab was Steep Hill that did the NorCal Cup, and they were they were very very rigid, um, and so they had to test it multiple times even to 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 confirm that that's what it had tested at. But that's what they ended up finally releasing for the test results. Um, so that thing that I entered didn't place, didn't do shit. I was very disappointed. I thought for sure because of just the test results and everything else that it was going to kill it. Didn't really matter. Um, but that crossed into the Gargamel ended up being nightcap. And again, I just did a small seed run, um, you know, like one plant, a couple hundred seeds, nothing big. Threw two of them into pots just to see what was up right away. And one of those two became Nightcap. I never even went back to the seeds again. Nightcap was better than Boss Frost somehow. It was like danker, more earthy, uh, heavier. You know, it Boss Frost was like very um, ground coriander, really bright, like really bright flavors. And the Nightcap was just way, way danker. And um, that one we ended up hitting 8.1% terps on. Super high in alpha pining, but does have a backbone in myrcene too. It's like kind of one to or two to one alpha piney to myrcene in that and um was the terp champ for sc labs for a couple years till i think um those guys up at the ridge ridge farm ridge something they um they ended up usurping me with a couple like tenths of a point you know on that and at the time we were putting out in the living soil we were putting out amazing stuff our own genetics i guess my own genetics although i had some help 
Um, and everything was killing it in the Terps from SC Labs. Like Boss Frost, I never saw it go below four and a half. And that was on like the shittiest, shittiest grow. And Nightcap was always just killing it too. So the cool thing about Nightcap is that um, the terpene profile, this is where I started really getting into terpene profiles. Like around 2014, 2015, when I started my own outfit, was doing this living soil and everything else, I opted into lab testing immediately because I wanted the data, right? So I had to pick the best labs. I would use Steep Hill or SC. And I just wanted to keep one, you know, I keep it as simple as possible so that I would get as true a data set as possible um, through all the different things we were doing in the grow, trying out different things and running different strains and whatever. So at the time, I mean, the boss frost and the nightcap were super high in alpha pining and were the highest things they would ever see. It would take me weeks to get my turf test back because they kept having to retest it to confirm that these numbers were accurate enough for them to put out. And at the time, SC Labs was was um, making public all their test results. If you didn't ask for it to be private, they would make it public. And you could go and you could scrape all the data off of their website and you could pull tens of thousands of tests. So after that, and I had a pretty decent relationship um, as like a client to Alec Dixon, one of the founders of SC Labs, and he would shout us out all the time. And we had a lot of conversations because my test would take so long to get back. I would always be calling him like, what the hell's going on? And we would have a lot of conversations and he was just like, a, you know, really impressed with the amount of terps we were getting off all the strains that we were growing, especially these unique lines. And um, and what he shared with me and we could see from the data was that all of the cannabis that was tested was falling into these like seven categories. You know, now that's what the Emerald Cup is using as their groupings for um, to get away from the sativa and indica uh designation and they're using these you know i forget what the words are dessert something whatever the words are kind of tacky but the exotic idea, dessert dreams yeah just sweets yeah. and dreams yeah right so the i mean they're trying to simplify it and that's a corporate move i'm sure but oh yeah regardless of that the idea that we now had we take this vast super plastic genome plant that can do so many different things and we make it finite right and we have seven categories now that like almost all the weed fits into these seven categories that became super interesting and my idea was that if i play within these categories then i will be able to breed homogenous strains much much quicker mm -hmm. because yeah. i'm going to be replicating this chemotype over and over and over again and so at least the expression of the chemotype is going to be the same now there was a lot of misinformation about the um like integral part of terpenes on flavors you know, which I kind of could tell right away because of that banana 99 cut, I was searching like, okay, what's the terpene that's giving us this banana flavor, right? And it's yeah. not a terpene at all. It's not, it's it's amyl, amyl acetate. Oh, it's, right. like, it's an ester, you know, same thing you see in alcohol production when you drink mm -hmm. like yeah. and, and you get that banana, that's amyl acetate. And I had a background in brewing beer as well, um, just for fun, but that's how I knew about that ester. And so other light bulbs starting to go off. But the idea was the same, that I follow within these terpene categories and do my breeding work within those to add or take away certain traits that I wanted and keeping other ones intact, mainly the flavor. And what I knew for the terpene profiles is that they would have a similar effect for me anyway. Um, so I would. what was interesting about the nightcap is that it's the same flavor as all the non-terpinaline hazes or the PIF. Yeah. PIF was something I was searching after you know, as much as I possibly could at that time. And again, this is like 2015. Nobody was circulating cuts. You couldn't, nobody had the nope. Cuban black. It was like a total legend, you know, lost to the times or whatever. You couldn't find the shit. There was some work here or there. Um, but I ended up going to JJ. 
I got a bunch of his stuff at one of the Emerald Cups or one of the high time shows and started running through all his stuff that was supposed to be, you know, as close to that as possible. He got a mango cut that was super incensey from somebody else on an IC forum. I forget the dude's name and made a bunch of stuff. I ended up finding some really nice, very incensey, non-terpinaline haze expressions from his stuff. Use that, bred it down a couple generations to get what I wanted out of it. And then I paired that to the nightcap. Because it had the same terpene profile, I was able to basically take the flowering time and reduce it tremendously, increase the bag appeal and the actual like density of the bud from what the haze that I was growing at the time was, and um, and increase the increase the um, terpenes and the cannabinoids by like a shitload. So it was basically allowing me to have sort of a secret weapon in nightcap to breed hazes and shorten their flowering time and do everything, but it did affect the high, you know, the effect was affected. The flavor profile stayed the same, but the effect was affected, was affected. So, um, nightcap was super influential in with my work. And from that line breeding with JJ's into the nightcap, I made night piff, which is like a true eight week flowering, you know, haze type. The effect is a little stronger, but it's still very heady. It's very up. Um, and it's incense as hell when it, when it burns in the room and it, it just hit all the traits that I wanted right away. Um, so that was kind of some of the idea of, well, one, that was the nightcap and like what the nightcap has become. Now I've worked that down several generations since then. I have a nightcap exotica line where I added an exotic in. Um, at the time that I made it, I didn't want to sort of piggyback off of the success of cookies and what they had done. But now with the cats out of the bag, because other people had already leaked the lineage. So it is nightcap Gary Payton. And then from there, I bred that into another exotic, which I will not actually. Well, that one was the purple Kaz, which nobody can get anyway, because that was yeah. a Casadero strain um, that I was gifted by like a family that wouldn't let anybody else have it. So that's an ICAP Exotica season two. I continue to, to do that line. It's really high pining. Um, it's ex the, the pining. The other thing that's interesting about the pining is that the effect for me for high pining strains is very, um, it's very lucid. I don't get. I don't get the inner monologue. I don't get the backseat driver where like I'm behind myself kind of observing and yeah. like commenting on myself or what I'm doing or whatever, you know, that's like, why I, I call the dumb mouth, the dumb mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't I get the like dumb it. mouth from it. And, and it's also extremely potent. And um, the reason I called nightcap nightcap is because that terpene profile for me with the potency, with the high THC allows me to drift off to sleep without any inner monologue or like my voice inside going, which is one of the things that, gives me paranoia and stops me from falling asleep. Thanks. So for me, it was super easy on the nightcap to fall asleep because that terpene profile, it allows a very smooth transition from sober to high or, you know, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. It's like, it's not as noticeable that you do get the head effect. You get the rush, but it's not like, Holy fuck. I overdid it. I'm too high. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, I, I can maintain the same train of thought. Um, and so at the time this was 2016, I think that that one popped and we were doing a lot of work still with medical patients and they were giving me the best feedback that they were able to sleep through the night. Didn't have to get up and go to the bathroom, getting restful sleep, which if you're ailing from anything, like getting restful sleep is like one of the two best things you can possibly do, regardless of anything else that you're taking or doing. So, um, talking to cancer patients and talking to people with true medical need who were impacted by that plant was uh, and still is like a, a highlight for me. It's super amazing. So Nightcap's been on its journey. I continue to use her today. I continue to breed her today. And she's a magnificent plant. Again, it was two seeds. So recently on my own Discord, I 
auctioned off the the half of the remainder of those seeds that were left and um some lucky gentleman picked them up that's cool yeah that's really cool i kept half i need that but uh, you know i just with her in, in the stable it's like there's almost no need to go back in and the, and there was quite a bit of variance even in the two that i popped it was like one was super squat and the one that i kept was really tall and lanky and had more of what i was looking for um so yeah i'm happy to let some of those things go and I have so many seeds now. It's like, what's the, you know, if I'm not going to get around to it, let's let somebody else grow it out. That's about where I've gotten with a lot of my collection too. After a while, you just start to realize like, man, these things do have a time limit and, yeah. and I want to see them grown out. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's either you get oh, greedy yeah. about it and let them die with you, or you get them out there and be able to get data points at least. At the very least. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't really be a collection, honestly. It's a perishable good. It's like, right. <laughs> right. Well, it always bugged the shit out of me when I see people with these mat like flexing with their massive collection. It's like, <laughs> grow them. What are you doing? Yeah. You know what I also learned too on the forums? The people who had post their massive collections were always the first to get shipped down and like scammed. And it was just setting yourself up so bad, so right. bad to do stuff like that. Yeah. It's just a very FOMO driven. Yeah. Which I'm guilty yeah. of it too. I mean, I did the same thing. Like I had yeah, early on, I think all a of lot, us. that's what we saw was cool. You know, like the cooler guys were showing off their killer, you know, whatever they had, their big seed collection. So of course we'd follow suit as younger guys, you know. Yeah. Well, the endorphin, the endorphin experience is like in the purchase and then receiving the package. Absolutely. And then after that, it's over. So it's like, uh, I gotta do it again. I need more seeds. Yeah. Yeah. I have these now. I don't need these anymore. And the flex. I I yeah. honestly the psychology of it is really interesting to me because seeds themselves are obviously not plants and they're not flower. They're not end products. They're kind of promises of, yeah. of something else. I love and that. then when you, even, even the purchase of a seed is like a promise of a promise. And it's like these little gambles that you're kind of getting high on really. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's really great. When yeah. we do these massive hunts now and I'm, and I'm talking to like the crew that's working under me, that's I, I never have used the term promise, but I'm going to now, but I always say, yeah, if, if you let one of these seeds not, if you let it dampen off or you don't, you know what I mean? It's, you're not like growing the seed properly or doing justice. If you lose seeds in a germination run, it's yep. like, you might have just lost Michael Jordan. Yep. Like, none of his brothers did shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can't lose Michael Jordan, man. You got to see all those to their true potential to know. And that's the FOMO for me now is like, if I lose a plant or a plant is, I'm like, it's not doing as well as it should. I'm not going to see its true potential. That's like where the FOMO is for me now. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I need, they have to be perfect. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. You could be missing that blue, that beautiful blue. <laughs> funny because I found, I found really great things in really small runs. I found really, really amazing things in massive runs. And, you know, the potential is there. And that's, that's the thing I don't want to lose is the potential. I was just trolling my buddy here who is popping some blue IX seeds. And <laughs> <laughs> and didn't get them all. I was going to mention it. I was going to mention it. <laughs> all right. And that's going to be our show for today. I wanted to thank Pico for coming on. Thousand, of course, for always helping, setting things up, being there with me to ask some of the harder questions that I'm not really good at. I'm only good at asking, bringing stuff. Um, also, want you to go check out our Patreon. That's how you get access to our Discord. That's where we hang out all the time. We've been doing more live chats. Actually, I'm going to go run one today. Um, it's really nice. We get to interact with the whole community. Everybody gets to put their input on on what they want to see in shows. Um, gives us ideas for different topics because there's, you know, I'm running out of ideas over time. You know what I mean? Um, 
but I am trying to take it back to more breeding centric type show. So expect that. Definitely expect that. Um, we have riotseeds.com with our seeds and spray. We have the uh, Jeezel drop, the Jeezel hybrids. We have um, the Blue Dream drop from Goat Farm. Um, we're going to have some new a new influx of stuff from High and Lonesome, I believe. Some Mango Haze hybrids coming up shortly. Um, going through testing right now. Uh, you can also find our seeds at Riot Seed Co. Europe for European people in Central Europe. We have Gert by Seeds for our people in the Southern Hemisphere of Australia and New Zealand. And then we have Lifted Seeds, also here in the U.S., but they can take um, like direct credit card payment and stuff, and they're awesome people. Um, they're doing a great job of carrying extremely good breeders. Not every seed bank cares about that, even if they say they do. I don't know any other ones. I really, truly don't. So uh, with that, just thanks for showing up. Thanks for caring. Um, it means a lot to us that we can keep doing this show, that enough people give a shit about this topic to keep it going. Um, there's been a lot of times where it's almost ended. So Thousand deserves a lot more credit than I think a lot of people have been giving him in the comments because without him, the show would have been dead after the whole uh, explosion. You know what I mean? Um, not everybody knows about it. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but um, we talked about it in the Patreon crowd with everyone as it was going down. You know, there's a reason that co-hosts change. Um, it was necessary. You know, we hold each other to high standards. We absolutely do. And sometimes life gets hard. People slip up. Things change. Morals change. Uh, moral fluidity as we talk about it. None of this shit is easy choices. And um, just know that, like, it's a good group of dudes all holding each other to really high standards. And if someone falls back, we put them aside for a while, you know? So with that, we'll see you next week for some more breeding chat with Breeder Syndicate. Want to sit at the table with the syndicate? Check out our Patreon in our link tree or description below. Our merch site is officially live. We have all sorts of shirts, hoodies, and goodies to sort you out, and shipping is super fast, and most importantly, the quality is top-notch. I've been saving old designs for years for this purpose, so please check it out, syndicategear.com. We also have an underground syndicate discord where we get together and solve old strain history together daily. It's an amazing community of learning away from IG, and it's an amazing resource for old catalogs and knowledge. We hope you join our union of breeders and growers. Come check it out.